0: Welcome to a special college football episode of the Youth Thought Sports Podcast. I am Jared, podcasting alongside Lucas. We got a slate of topics related to college football broadly, uh, my favorite Texas programs, as well as our favorite program, at the University of Notre Dame. Let's start with our first topic, Lucas. College football is inherently unfair. Uh, Power Five, 80s, and presidents on the selection committee can blame group of five for not playing a power five team while simultaneously refusing to schedule them so that they can prove that they can play with a power five team. Funding is super um, unfair. You know, teams have different weight rooms. Administrations don't want to pay for certain things. You can't take a get a good draft pick, all that stuff. But Lucas, how do you think we can make college football more fair? And should we even be trying to make it more fair?
1: Well, I think to the second question I'll answer it first. I think we absolutely should be trying to make it more fair. And uh, my initial gut reaction is, in you know, a way to make it more fair is what I've always said, and that's I think you got to expand the playoff to eight teams, and not only that, I think you have to guarantee one of the spots for a group of five team in the same way that you currently guarantee a spot for a group of five team in a New York 6 game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If there's no chance for a group of five team to ever make the playoff, Nothing will ever change because I could see a scenario where they expand the team to eight, the playoff to eight teams, and then they just be like, oh, the group of five team would always be a ninth or yeah. something like that. I think the only way you could really get them with a chance of competing for a title is if you guarantee them a spot every year. And you could do something like the Power Five conferences, the winner of each of them automatically gets a bid, and then a group, one group of five team gets a bid, you have two at large bids or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because the cultural playoff from the Power Five like a classic, like, economically defined cartel. They control power, (laughs) and they benefit from maintaining this grip on the power, like the Power Mm -hmm. Five and the college football playoff, because it benefits them to have no competition to their status there because they already have the power. So Mm -hmm. in Ohio State or someone like that, or Notre Dame or Bama or whoever, whatever blue blood you want to throw in there, there's no reason for them to schedule UCF, BYU, Memphis, Coastal Carolina, Cincinnati teams like that. Right. Because it opens up the possibility that you might lose to one of those teams. And if you lose to one of those teams, it shows that they can sort of penetrate your system and like get in and prove that you know they are worthy. And then that just democratizes it even more and right. makes it harder for you to make it every year. So it's in your benefit to never play the good group of five teams. Yeah. Because if you lose them, then it becomes a wide open race for the playoff, us. now it's really only amongst power five teams so mm-hmm. they just scheduled bad group of five teams which i mean <laughs> a bad group of five team is almost certainly worse than a bad you know big 10 Pac 12 etc team but yeah. i don't think i know the level to which a good group of five team competes with a good power five team because they never play each other because it's not in the power Five's interest to do so mm-hmm. and the only way you can get them to play these teams is if you incentivize playing those teams. And I think the only way you do that is by making them seem like better teams by putting them in the playoff. Like if Cincinnati makes the playoff three straight years, they're going to be seen as a good team. And it'll be seen as a good win for Ohio state or a good win for Bama to play Cincinnati and go in. So I think Mm -hmm. expanding the playoff and then giving a guaranteed spot to the group of five sort of incentivizes them to be invited into the fold of like powerful teams, because I don't think it'll be done any other way.
0: Mm, there's a lot to unpack there. I yes. I do agree. I I am def- I don't want to keep the group of five down or whatever. I I don't. As I've said before, I don't like any system that devalues the regular season and just puts additional hurdles in okay. in front of teams that have already proved through twelve games that they're good enough or they're mm-hmm. the best team. Right. So yeah. my my problem is more with the power five than the than the playoff format. I guess. I. Uh, I would say this year, obviously with corona- the coronavirus pandemic, there's no fans. But I think mm. that when college football becomes too regional, it's super boring. When when yeah. all these teams, when there's no cross country matchups, that's why I think Notre Dame's really interesting, for example, because mm-hmm. they play oh, a national schedule. And um, another thing too, I, so this is one thing I read from FiveThirtyEight's Nate Silver. Is the committee? The committee says that they care about conference championships, but they've already proven in multiple years that they don't actually care about that. Mm-hmm. Alabama has made it in without a without a conference championship. Notre Dame has made it in without a conference championship. Ohio State mm-hmm. has too. So I think we just I do want to see the matter settled on the field, so that way the teams can prove that 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 they're good. And I think we just need to fix. We need to real either realign the conferences completely, get rid of them. Or just do a lot of different scheduling changes. For one, in relation to scheduling, this year proves we don't need to schedule teams like 50 years in advance. We can just do it it the off season prior, and it'd be completely fine. That's what every other. That's what all the professional leagues do, right? They don't Mm -hmm. put their schedules out six years in advance. Um, Another thing, this is what Nate Silver suggested from 5:38, is that you schedule like the first seven games, and then the last eight or the last eight, excuse me, eight through 12 games are like paired matchups we're like because we want to see the top team what is it telling us when ohio state plays rutgers and, and wins 52-0 it, yeah. it'll tell us a lot more if ohio state plays notre dame and we're like okay let's see let's see the, what they can do so I, I we're basically the conference championship the committee already has shown it doesn't really matter that much and it doesn't mm-hmm. even pit the best teams in a conference against each other sometimes because like yeah. a six lots pit team can go play clemson in the acc sometimes you know what i mean yeah. So I think I think the problem is more with scheduling than I, I think if we do if we do scheduling all right, if I'll say this. If we want an eighteen playoff, we should decrease the the time of the regular season. Yeah, I, I
1: agree. With like that. I don't
0: want to put a bunch of hurdles in front of Alabama who have already proven through twelve games. Now they gotta prove it again against like UCF or whoever the heck they play. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: No, I agree. And I think one thing sorry to cut you off if I did, but no, it bugs me too is that like a lot of times the, the like, I think, honestly, a 10-game season, what Notre Dame play this year, what Plumson play this year, is perfect. I don't think mm-hmm. it should be anymore, especially because that 11th and 12th, like, data point, which they always talk about, like, having, like, extra right. data points, is against, like, FCS teams. It's against teams that have no legitimate shot of winning. They're just warm-up games, right. and they don't exactly. add anything to the conversation. Like, I would rather them... Like, because I agree. I, I don't think an 18-playoff with a 12- or 13-game regular season is necessarily for the best because, mm-hmm. you know, you're it's already incredibly taxing and stuff like that. Right. So I think, like, I would rather, instead of Alabama play, you know, insert random FCS team mm-hmm. in, like, a game like the Citadel, who I think they play every year, I would rather see them play, like, a one-versus-eight matchup against Cincinnati to know how good Cincinnati exactly. is. Exactly. So I like that, yeah.
0: Yeah, so. like, I, I want teams to prove that they can make it in. We don't need to, like... And an NBA can do a long postseason where they have 16 teams because they play in series. So if you have a bad game, you have three other games to, to prove it or whatever. Right. Yeah. Where you can't do that in football. And I don't want, you know, as much as people love like March Madness and stuff, I don't want that in football. I don't want like fluky no, teams going even. on
1: and winning. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, so, I agree with that as well.
0: That's my whole thing. Another thing, too, is I, I don't know if expanding the playoffs. You did make the point that, all right, if Cincinnati gets in the playoffs three years in a row, then people will see that, oh, hey, maybe they're a good program now. I, I'm not sure if expanding the playoffs, though, is going to change the distribution of talent. I think still the best players are going to want to play at Alabama or Clemson or Georgia. The teams with yeah. tradition, I think, will always have a leg up. What do you think? Yeah.
1: Now, I to some extent, I agree with that, but we talked about this on the main show last week and that like you can have an upstart program. like Clemson didn't have a ton mm-hmm. of history. They... They only had one national championship before Dabo took over in 81, I think. So mm-hmm. I think it's possible for programs to upstart, albeit a lot harder. Like Alabama and Ohio State and Notre Dame and USC and Michigan will always have just, like, a starting point that is, like, further ahead. Right. And there's no level of, like, equalizing in college football that will change, you know, Notre Dame having 11 national championships and Alabama having 17. And, like, just that sort of tradition of excellence, like, you can't take away. But I do think expanding – the number of teams that could win expands the number of teams that could recruit more widely because like if Cincinnati makes the playoffs, they're going to be on ESPN. Like you're going to see them. Like you don't Mm -hmm. see Cincinnati or UCF or coastal Carolina or any of those teams, except for this past weekend, usually on national TV. And that, I think that more than anything else is like a huge, that's a good point. Yeah.
0: And the way to fix that is just by realigning. Honestly, if you just abolish the conferences, or, or realign them in some way because the conferences are the ones that negotiate the TV deals. Yeah, You know what I mean? No, I agree. So I, um, that's why I think yeah. if you want to expand the playoffs, there needs to be other changes too. You can't just do I, expanding the playoffs. It's not going to change much. I don't think.
1: No, I agree. I would uh, like, this is stupid and would never happen. But honestly, <laughs> if they like realign the conferences like every couple years, based yes. on like, like I would not be opposed to that in the least.
0: A lot of people, uh, a, a lot of articles I read when I was preparing for this um, compared to, compared college football to like european soccer where they have relegation and things like that yeah i mean because we yeah we want we want it to be settled on the field the best teams don't need to be playing their 0-12 rival or i mean i like rivalry games but they don't need to play it. alabama doesn't need to play 0-12 vanderbilt you know what i mean no absolutely i want i want them to play auburn but then play the best teams you know what i mean settle it settle it on the field
1: yeah, like it was something like you got to pick like three teams you played each year that was mutually agreed upon. So you could pick like USC, Michigan, and Navy. Game. And then you just, based on that, you realign like for the other seven to nine games of the season whatever you yeah. decide on. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that at all. Yeah.
0: We'll see. We'll see if it ever changes. But
1: <laughs> Yeah. And, and well, the,
0: the last thing too I'll add is making it more fair will make it more competitive and therefore more interesting. There's a lot of oh, people that... Like Colin Coward, who I listen to a lot, thinks college football is not interesting because it's the same three teams every year. Where like dynasties are fun, but when it gets to a point, it can get boring. I
1: agree with that. I agree with that as well, and I don't think, excuse me, we're quite there yet. But if like, because like, the 2010s were very different from the 2000s, which were very different Mm -hmm. from the 90s. Like it seems like every like decade, there's like a different like group of teams that is dominant. So at least there's some turnover. Like this decade, you had Bama. And Clemson and Ohio State, and the one before that, you had, you know, Miami and USC and Texas, and the one before yeah. that, you had Nebraska and Michigan and even Notre Dame to some extent. So, like, mm-hmm. but if it continues, that Alabama just keeps steamrolling and steamrolling. Like, I don't know, but nothing, nothing's inevitable. I was watching a documentary, yeah, over Thanksgiving. Um, ESPN did like their college football 150 thing, and there was an episode just on Notre Dame. When Mm. Notre Dame got that NBC TV deal, people were like, "It's over for the rest of college football." Like Notre (laughs) Dame can never be beat because they're on national TV every week. Like, why would you want to go anywhere else? Because Mm. if you can be, and since the NBC deal was signed in '91 or whatever, they've won zero national championships. So, (laughs) like, yeah, Yeah, that's true. I don't know. That's true. Things inevitable. Anyway, moving on to another, uh, you know, traditional blue blood and traditional uh, state for football. Uh, Texas AM and m Mond have so much struggled in the past two weeks. Texas, the more blue of the bloods among those two, <laughs> and Q- quarterback Sam Ellinger followed up a disappointing loss to Ohio State by scoring 69 points against Kansas State. Uh, there's been some controversy surrounding these quarterbacks in weeks, in weeks, Jared. So do you feel that the QBs for those two top Texas programs are actually holding their teams back instead of making them better?
0: Yes, very much so, I think. I, I, I'll start with Texas. I know I really like watching Ellinger. I know he just passed Mahomes for seventh most career passing yards by a Big Twelve quarterback. All that stuff. I love his physicality, but he's just too inconsistent for me. Analysts really love his leadership, and but they use that leadership as as some sort of boost to his play that like just isn't there. In my mm-hmm. opinion, like the accuracy just isn't isn't there. He has a sixty percent completion percentage in the Big Twelve. I would expect something close at Texas. Something closer mm-hmm. to like seventy percent. You know, oh, a, sure. a little more Mac Jones. Joe, not maybe Joe Burrow, that's an anomaly, but closer to like somebody like Mac Jones, right? No, in their losses, Ellinger t- tends to play really poorly. Like in TCU, I know they'll say, well, he had four touchdowns, but he had a 47% completion percentage. And <laughs> I, I was really, I watched that game horrific. live. I was not impressed. Oklahoma game, I watched that one live as well. Um, he had he only had two passing touchdowns and, and four, he had four rushing touchdowns, but the game went into like three overtimes, I think. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma State lost fifty two, or that was a win fifty two percent completion percentage. Iowa State they put the ball in his hands and he couldn't get it done. He's just too inconsistent, I think. And I would like to see Tom Herman get another year with a new quarterback. I think. Um, yeah, yeah. What do you think on Ellinger?
1: Yeah, so I read a really good article on Hookem dot com about <laughs> Ellinger, um, and they said he's quote an all time good quarterback is how they defined yeah. it. Not an all time great, yeah. like he's never elite, but He has played a very important role in sort of stabilizing Texas to some degree. Oh, yeah. Like, because they were in, like, complete free fall, like, four or five years ago Mm in terms of program, like, from Vince Young in 06, just sort of, you know, falling off to, like, having consistent losing seasons. And under Herman and uh, with Ellinger, they've stabilized a little bit because they're both good. But I don't know at this point. I feel like now that they've been stabilized with Ellinger for, this is year four for him. Yeah. Like, I feel like... He is holding them back to some degree. Like he was the necessary quarterback for like 2017 to sort of like get them back on track, but the inconsistency just like yeah. like you said, hurts them so much. And I think if they want to take that next step from just being like you know eight and four, nine and three, which obviously is better than four and eight or whatever for most years, but mm-hmm. if they want to take that step to really competing for titles again, I think Ellinger is probably stopping them from doing it. And like the leadership thing, I think is two sided. Like I think in like games that they lose, it kind of shows a lack. of of leadership mm-hmm. if, like, they're, like, blowing these leads and things like that, mm-hmm. and his inconsistent play is sort of holding them back. So, yeah, yeah. I agree with you about Ellinger. Yeah, I mean,
0: you can look at the volume stats. They look great, but when you look at how consistent and accurate he is, it's not there for me. So Yeah.
1: How do you feel about Mond, Texas a and <sighs> I mean, I know... People, he's he used to always
0: be in the Heisman preseason running and all that, mm-hmm. and he he just joined my guy Dak and Tim Tebow is the only SEC quarterbacks to have nine thousand passing yards and fifteen hundred rushing yards, but the same thing. He's super inconsistent. His career completion percentage is fifty eight percent. That's that's uh-huh. pretty bad for a college. That quarterback. is pretty bad. I, I mean, it's pretty average. I'll say, like for what we expect from an elite college football program, mm-hmm. not on par. In their, yeah. like in their game against LSU, he had a oh, 32% completion percentage.
1: 11 for 34 is like almost yeah. unforgivable as like a quarterback in an elite program, especially against LSU, who this year has just been like bad. Yeah. Like, I mean, not bad. bad but like, they're, no, they're bad. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll just assign him the label, but yeah.
0: <laughs> and I, I just see him miss throws a lot. Like He had a touchdown in this, pre- this game that he just played yesterday that literally went through defenders' hands. Bounced off it and somehow it was a touchdown because they're the tight end caught it or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean it's just he's getting a little lucky.
1: I think Yeah, I think so too. And I think like you saw like when they played Alabama, like he was not great. Yeah. And that was like a truly elite team. Like I I don't think Texas A&M should be anywhere near number five or the, or the college football player oh, yeah. this year. I don't think they're that like I don't know how they're seven and one at this point. Yeah. Like I yeah.
0: I, I mean their defense is pretty good. That's what yeah. that's what the commentators were saying in their game against Auburn. They're like, everybody likes to see the offense and stuff, but their defense is pretty stout, which I agree with. But I don't know if this year's the ultimate eye test because everybody's you know conferences and schedules are so different. I just don't think Texas A&M really passes that for me. And and I, if you put them in at number four, let's say Alabama wins out, you put them in at four, you're gonna put them against a team that blew them out by what like thirty points. Like I don't want to yeah, watch. It, that what's again. even the point of that? What's the yeah. point? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see where the rankings shake out there. Um on Saturday, Ian Book set the record for most wins by a Notre Dame quarterback in in en route to a win against Syracuse. Lucas, do you think Ian Book is the best college QB that Notre Dame has ever had?
1: I I can't believe I'm saying this, but honestly, maybe. Like I, <laughs> I think there's a very if if he wants a title this year yes if yeah otherwise even now i think he has a strong case because i think you have to go back to the 1940s to find a quarterback at notre dame who's been more successful in their college career for notre dame hmm. like i'm not going to argue he's a better overall quarterback than like joe montana but in terms of like when they were at notre dame mm-hmm. the stats don't lie for ian book if my yeah. math is right he has the most wins of any he doesn't he not only has the most wins of any notre dame quarterback but he's the second highest winning percentage of any quarterback he oh, has wow. played more than 10 games. Ah, uh, the only one ahead of him is Johnny Lujack in 1946 and 1947, mm. and he didn't he didn't lose a single game. So yeah. you know, <laughs> and plus he had already served in World War II. He was like 24, 25. Right? So <laughs> he had more development. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, he had fought the Nazis. So like, <laughs> it has to help him some. Um, he's also he's the only quarterback, along with Lujack and Frank Caridio, who was the quarterback in 29 to 30, to have more than one undefeated season, mm. regular season at Notre Dame. In terms of all like the pure volume stats, he's second only to Brady Quinn. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a little misleading because at this point in his cur- or by the end of Brady Quinn's career, as opposed to Ian Book now, he has 600 more passing attempts than Ian Book does. And Ian Book is like kind of mm. close. Like if you would project out that if Ian Book had 600 more attempts, he would pass Brady Quinn and all of those. And they play on a little different offenses. Um, Book has a mm. really great run game behind him, and in the Charlie Weiss days, like they were just slinging the ball all over the place.
0: <laughs> and like
1: so, I don't think it's a you know a perfect comparison. And if you look at like the stats that aren't related to volume between Ian Book and Brady Quinn, Book has a better completion percentage, um, more a better touchdown to interception ratio, and mm-hmm. um, this isn't related to like time wise, but he also has more rushing touchdowns than mm-hmm. Brady Quinn ever did. I think the only thing that holds him back from me definitively saying he's like the best quarterback. At Notre Dame, at least in the modern era, is the lack of a title, which you know Joe Montana has, Tony Rice has, Tom yeah. Clements has. Um, but in terms of all their ats, like I know it's a different time and a different game, but they were also way less efficient. Like Joe Montana at Notre Dame had 25 touchdowns and 25 interceptions. Yeah, I saw which that. Which is just <laughs> not good. So if he wins a title, yes, but I already think he has a pretty good case to be considered Notre Dame's best college quarterback.
0: I I would say. He'd be he's number yeah he's like probably number two I think Brady Quinn is better if you're, even within his time at Notre Dame I still think Brian mm-hmm. uh, Brady Quinn, Quinn was better okay. you know you can't put the wins all on just the quarterback right like yeah, book that's that's also uh, along with the running game has a great defense this year for example and had a really yeah. good defense in 2018 yeah. he's mobile but we're... not a player where your game plan against his rushing attack Ian book mm-hmm. and he still he he misses a ton of open receivers like just. And By missing, I mean he doesn't see them. Like, that happens a lot with him. Yeah. Um, and I don't really factor in some of the longevity stats as much when, when I'm, like, determining who was the best while they were at Notre Dame. I, I still think it's Brady Quinn when you look at – he won the Maxwell Award for, you know, best college football player, Heisman mm-hmm. finalist. So how he stacked up with his peers, I think Brady Quinn – you know, it's just seeing that, I think Brady Quinn takes the top spot for me, which I know a lot of lists put him there. It's not that original, but – yeah, Ian Book is, has been very successful. Obviously, the the most the winniest, right? Mm-hmm. Most winning, most wins by a quarterback. But um, I I still would say Brady Quinn.
1: For yeah, me. and I think maybe in terms of pure statistics, like that's the right answer. But I think part of for me what comes with being the quarterback at Notre Dame, and this is you know a more you know broad looking point, is you got to win. And like, yeah. Ian Book has won in a way that Brady Quinn. Oh, yeah. Never really did. I think in Brady Quinn's best year, they were 10-3 and 3 and finished, like, somewhere in the top 10. And they had that 05 and 06 year where they were 05 where they almost beat USC, but couldn't. Like, and I mean, that's just one data point in one game. You don't have the defense and all, mm-hmm. all that factored in. But, like, Brady Quinn's biggest game, top 10 game between number one USC and them, they lost. Mm-hmm. Ian Book's biggest game between them and number one Clemson, they won. And I think yeah. maybe... It, Again, they didn't have great defenses when Brady Quinn was there. It's not all on him, but Ian Book just seems to come up more in the big moments. And Maybe that's because he has more opportunities to mm-hmm. than Brady Quinn ever did. So I, I still think I'd lean towards Book over Quinn, but maybe that's because I just like you know I want to embrace the now and like all this oh, stuff, yeah. <laughs> good stuff that, that seems to be happening. And Brady Quinn and his teams caused me a lot of heartbreak back in two thousand five. <laughs> so yeah.
0: yeah. I mean. Yeah, he does. Honestly, I kind of forgot how prolific his season was last year. Like thirty-four to six touchdown to interception ratio is very good. Yeah, and and five hundred forty rushing yards. Yeah, five forty-six. Yeah, I good. feel like
1: I just have so, sort of rode off last season for Notre Dame, honestly, because they lost yeah. that game to Georgia early and then Michigan in game six. Or After seven, that Michigan or game, I
0: kind of like yeah, just checked out a bit, you know. But
1: yeah, but hey, they're back, back and better than ever this year. Yeah, and speaking of back and better than ever Brian (laughs) Kelly uh, continues to prove he's a top five coach I'm more than happy (laughs) to admit I was wrong on that case Brian Uh, yeah great coach Jared explain to the audience why he is
0: okay so Brian Kelly just had his third undefeated regular season as the Notre Dame head coach which is very very impressive he just beat number one Clemson the senior class has had four straight 10 win seasons but the most impressive thing to me is is his ability to, to adapt Especially coming off that 4-8 and eight season, completely overhauls the staff, gave up play-calling duties, learned how to be more calm on the sidelines and stuff like that. He's mm-hmm. evolved with the game, which is what great coaches do. So that's why, that's why I think he takes a top-five spot. Two other things, too, is he, he, he manages to convince student-athletes to play in South Bend, really bad weather, take classes that are actually going to be difficult. And not mm-hmm. only that, they, stay, they usually stay for like four years, the best players mm-hmm. do, right? At okay. least recently. I think he's... I'm pretty impressed with him, to be honest. I mean, the coach, sure, sometimes in-game decisions might not be great. I know people will point out little things throughout the game. But as a CEO of a business, right, I think he's done a fantastic mm-hmm.
1: job. No, I mean, I think so too. And I was a Brian Kelly hater for, like, a long time. But I think, <laughs> honestly, since since we started there in 2015, mm-hmm. that's just, like, a level of excellence I haven't seen at Dame in my lifetime. Like, aside yeah. from that 4-8 and eight year... Mm-hmm. 10 wins in 2015, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, five out of six years to intense 10s games is like, it's gotten to the point where like, I think growing up with Notre Dame, I'm like, let's just make it to the sun bowl this year. and Go eight and four. And that'll be a good year. And now like, if they don't make the playoffs every year, I'm like disappointed. And I think that's honestly attributable to Brian Kelly and like the, the culture. And mm-hmm. it's like a nebulous term that's thrown out a lot that, that he's built there. And I think he's, he's just done an excellent job and the big knock against him that he couldn't win the big games like obviously yeah. this year isn't over they could lose the acc championship lose the first round of the playoffs but there's at least a glimmer that that like that that's over like they mm-hmm. beat clemson in the, in the biggest game of the college football season this year and looked excellent do it pulled punches fought back and that like that resiliency i think is something that's like instilled in them as well like when book fumbled in the end zone Mm -hmm. uh, i'm like it's over like this is just a game that they lose and have always lost and they fought back and they won and i think like that is a lot obviously it's up to the individual players too but i think it's also up to brian kelly and i just i don't think there's anybody you could rank above him at this point besides davo and nick saban and i think that uh, that, I, i know that's something i didn't say even like two months ago because we have right. it on tape <laughs> on the podcast and be saying that but like i think this season has changed a lot for me because other i'm finally willing to admit that like he doesn't keep fluking in this way to 10 win seasons like this is something that oh, he yeah. has done that he has established
0: yeah i mean and we just beat you know we just beat a north carolina team we just held a north carolina team to what was it 17 points i, I can't yeah, think 17 and they just they just put up like 60 this week it was it was against like west Carolina, some like fcs team i think but you know, so, we 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 are we do a lot of things really well on this team now, and, and we've been and we've been doing it consistently, as you were saying. So, yeah, very impressive,
1: I think. Well, thank you all for tuning in for listening to our college football show this week. Uh, be sure to uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you listen. Uh, make sure to listen to the main episode this week, and thanks for tuning in.